So last week, you might remember, I began a series, four sermons on the goodness of God. And as I said last week, God is always a good God. There's no shifting of shadows with our God. God is always good. Now, circumstances, they sometimes vary. Sometimes we hit difficult patches. And just why God allows some things to happen, well, we don't know. Providence is nothing if it isn't mysterious. Moses said, the secret things belong to God. So we don't understand all that happens. But there is one thing we do know. No matter what hardship we face, God is using it to mold us into people of character. That's part of God's goodness. God is good, so he wants us to be happy. But in the short run, we may not always be happy because above all other things, God wants us to be good. He wants us to share in his goodness. He wants us to be righteous people. And so over the long haul and in eternity, happiness, no doubt. But first and foremost, God is calling us higher. He's calling us to be a certain kind of person. So whatever we go through, whatever reasons God has for allowing bad things to happen, even to good people, we know one purpose is always involved. God is shaping us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's part of our higher calling. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 because we're told this very truth in this chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, I want to start reading in verse 4. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. The word we translate discipline in Greek is paideia. It's the word that was used for parents teaching their children. Our word pedagogy is related to paideia. 
Parents will teach their children, instruct them, guide them, correct them, redirect them. Parents, good parents at least, are actively involved in molding their children into people of character. Now, sometimes the kids don't like it because no instruction, correction, discipline, redirection is pleasant at the time. In fact, it's often painful. But in the end, it brings a good result. And so as human parents teach, instruct, correct, discipline their children, so it is that God does the same with us to form people of character. Now, listen, hardships come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes they're fairly small. In fact, they're mere annoyances. But there are other times when they threaten to break you and they can overwhelm you. It can be the grief of a loss or it could be some some turn of events that has changed your life forever. It's a whole range. But you notice Hebrews doesn't distinguish between the hard hardships and the rest. It says, endure hardship as paideia, as instruction, discipline, guidance. God is shaping your life so that you will share his goodness. And in the end, you will reap a harvest of righteousness and peace. That's what Paul had to experience. We often read or refer to Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul doesn't tell us what his thorn in the flesh actually was. And that's a good thing because if he did, then we would dismiss all the things that we experience that fall into the same category. We'd say, well, it's not what Paul went through. So Paul leaves it vague. He does tell us that it's a messenger of Satan and that it torments him. And even the image itself, thorn in a flesh, suggests something that is sharp and painful in his life. It's enough that he prayed repeatedly for God to take it away. But God didn't take it away. Paul begged him to remove it, but God didn't remove it. And Paul said it was because God gave it to him to protect him from the pride to which he was otherwise in danger or otherwise susceptible. That is to keep him from becoming proud. God allowed this bad thing in his life, but turned it to good. He prayed to be relieved from it, but Jesus responded, nope, not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And it was in response to that, that Paul wrote these famous words. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God had to deliver Paul from feeling strong, feeling so strong that he became proud. So God allowed him 
to have this thorn and refused to take it away for Paul's own good. And it's in that experience that Paul learned what real strength really was. I don't know that there are many people on earth that I respect more than Neil Jeffrey. A lot of you know Neil Jeffrey. He's, he's well known in this part of the country because he was the quarterback for the miracle on the Brazos. Some of you know what game I'm talking about. Baylor had an unlikely, almost miraculous comeback against the University of Texas in 1974. What a game that was. After his football career, Neil joined the NFL and he played three years for the San Diego Chargers. After that, he began to preach full time. He's been preaching to everyone who will listen for the last 40 years. But I've left out a very important point of, or, or, or issue in his life because you can't understand Neil Jeffrey, the athlete, or the preacher unless you know something about Neil Jeffrey, the stutterer. Because for his entire life, Neil Jeffrey has studied, st struggled with a stutter. Now, you might wonder, how in the world are you supposed to preach if you have a stutter? Well, it helps that he's got a great sense of humor. And if you've heard him preach, you've heard him tell some hilarious jokes that, that, you know, at first you're thinking, am I supposed to laugh at this? And then you can't help but laugh. He talks about being in the huddle and how the coach had to work out a special arrangement because he's the quarterback, he's supposed to call plays, but sometimes he could get stuck and they could have a delay of game penalty. And he talks about how the other team would sometimes not know what to do when he's standing behind center and it's the, it's the halfback calling the play or, or calling for the ball. Hut, hut. If Neil tried to do it, he could get stuck and they may never get that ball snapped. He tells lots of stories, great sense of humor, but you know, Having a stutter really is no joke, you know that, and it wasn't for him. He grew up with it, and he says he spent most of his life trying to hide it. You can imagine the social anxiety that causes in any young man's life and how central it was to the story of his life. And naturally, as a Christian young man, he prayed many, many, many times for the Lord to deliver him, to heal him. He wanted to be able to speak fluently like his father could speak, his father who often preached, and, and he wanted to be like his dad. But God didn't heal him, and God hasn't healed him. He still stutters. When he gets up at the beginning of a sermon, he tells everyone, I want you to understand, I'm a stutterer. So I might get stuck in the middle of a sentence. And if I do, don't worry about it. Just relax, just wait. Because if I'm stuck, it's because something really, really good is about to come out. And if you'll just wait, you'll receive it. And after you've listened to him for a little while, you pretty much forget that he has a stutter. In fact, this last week, I was talking to Melody Carson, and I mentioned that I'd be referring to Neil Jeffrey. And she said, oh, Neil Jeffrey's one of my favorite people. And I said, he's mine too. And I'm going to talk about his battle with stuttering. And she said, you know, it's funny. I, I forgot that he stuttered. 
And that's what happens when you hear him preach. You just forget that it's happening because of his grace in simply going forward publicly, not worrying about it, but having a message he wants to get out. So a couple of weeks ago, Linda and I are visiting with my oldest daughter's family. We weren't here that Sunday morning. We went to church with them. And it so happened they had a guest preacher. Guess who it was? Neil Jeffrey. And he gets up and he tells everyone, now you know I stutter, but if I get stuck, just, just relax, it's coming, it's coming. And along the course of the sermon, which was, which was focused on, on what we need to go forward in this new year with all the challenges and opportunities before us. It's a great sermon, it's a fantastic sermon. As he's preaching that sermon, he talks about his lifelong battle with stuttering said, you know, I prayed, I wanted, I, I wanted nothing more than to be rid of it. He said, I wish I were rid of it. I want to be able to talk freely. But he said, one day it dawned on me that my stutter had taught me important life lessons that I might not have learned in any other way. And it dawned on me that I'm the man I am and the husband I am and the father I, I am in part because I stutter. And so he referenced Paul's thorn in the flesh. And he said, for him, as for Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. And I can tell you, as someone who was in that congregation that day, Neil Jeffrey preached with power. And I, for one, when I hear him preach, I am all ears because here is a man who doesn't let something like that stop him from testifying to my Lord. Someone with that kind of character, I'm ready to hear what they have to say. Are you the same way? You the same way? So for 40 years, he's been bearing witness to Jesus Christ and he's not let his stutter hold him back and his disadvantage has made him a better, stronger, wiser man. And I don't know that he could be a more powerful preacher. I doubt anybody here's ever heard the name uh, Mary Verghese, but Mary Verghese was a medical student in India. If you were from India, it's very possible you would have heard of Mary. She was a medical student, very promising one, when she was in an automobile accident and her spinal cord was injured and she lost movement below her waist. For weeks, as she lay in the hospital bed, she refused to do physical therapy because she was a Christian young woman and she was convinced that God was going to heal her. She said, why should I bother with therapy? God's going to miraculously heal me. But God didn't heal her. And eventually she realized he wasn't going to heal her. So she had to deal with her new reality. Well, she didn't lose faith. In fact, she summoned the faith to continue on her training to be a surgeon. She felt God had called her to be a surgeon. She was going to be a surgeon. And so she continued that process, and she actually worked under the famous missionary doctor, Paul Brand. And Paul Brand counseled Mary, saying, I'd suggest that you work with leprosy patients, 
because you'll be able to operate on their hands while still sitting in your wheelchair. So that's what she did. She began working with those who had Hansen's disease. Paul Brandt talked about what a difference she made to those patients. He said at that time in a, a, a hospital for leprosy patients, they kept those patients separate from all the others because they were afraid of, of infection. And the, the sufferers would be in the hallways just hanging out listlessly, wondering what's to come of their lives, depressed, hopeless. And he said it was the most remarkable thing because they would, they would hear a squeak of Mary's wheelchair at the other end of the hall, and they realized she was coming. And the minute she did, their faces would light up as if they had been healed. They were so thrilled to see her. And he says... I want to read to you the exact words he wrote. He says, Mary had the power to renew their faith and hope. When I think of Mary Verghese, I see not her face, which was deeply scarred by the surgeries they had to perform after her accident. I see not her face, but its reflection in the smiling faces of others, not her image, but the image of God poured through her broken human body. She had this tremendous impact. After training under Brand and working with Hansen's disease patients for many years, she was called back to Valor, India, and she joined the staff there at the Christian College of Medicine. There she worked with leprosy patients, but also with those who had spinal cord and brain injuries. She was able to minister with deep understanding to those who had suffered and were suffering because she knew what suffering was. And she was a woman of such strength and such character that they could hold on to her confidence in them. If she did it and she thinks I can do it, I can do it. She made a difference in, in hundreds of lives, probably thousands of lives over many, many years working there at the hospital. When she died, admirers formed the Mary Verghese Trust to carry on the good work that she had done over so many, many years. Just in 2012, they gave out their first Mary Verghese Award to people who are doing extraordinary work to help those who are suffering in, in unique and special ways. What a life she lived. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Imagine yourself back decades ago, you're watching her, in that hospital room. And what if when it finally dawns on her that God's not going to heal her, but she's going to live with paralysis the rest of her life. What if at that point she says, you know, this is not fair. Why me? I was studying medicine to serve God and look what's happened to me. Why me? There were four people in that vehicle. I'm the only one who's paralyzed. Why? If God is a good God, why did this happen to me? What if she responded like that? What if you saw her and her countenance fall and her spirit darkened and she gave it up? She just gave it up. 
She waited for other people to take care of her because she thought, I'm a cripple. What am I supposed to do with my life? God turned his back on me. That's it. And just soured and shriveled as a person. What if that happened? But it didn't happen. Didn't happen. She suffered a hardship far more severe than many of us have even imagined. And yet, it was all part of God's work to mold her, shape her, create a person of character who could help so many others. If you go to the Christian College of Medicine in Valor's website today, you'll find on their homepage prominently displayed their motto, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And that's the spirit of Mary Verghese. And that's what God is calling his people to. Sometimes he puts us through things because he has a higher calling on our lives. It's not easy, but we have to endure knowing that God is good. He's a loving heavenly father. Now, it's not that Neil Jeffrey's wrong to pray that God would heal him of his stutter. It wouldn't be wrong for him to pray unless the Lord's told him otherwise. Today and every day, as long as he lives, nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with Mary Verghese asking God to heal her. It's not wrong for you to be asking God to intervene on your behalf. We ought to pray. Paul prayed that God would remove his thorn, and he prayed repeatedly. He didn't stop until the Lord said, stop. And I don't think we should stop praying about things until, until God says stop or until it becomes evident as things unfold that God simply isn't going to answer that prayer. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel my need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but got everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all people most, most richly blessed. No one knows who wrote that prayer. If you told me that it floated down out of heaven, I'd be inclined to believe you. It reads to me like something inspired by the Holy Spirit. There is nothing wrong with praying for health, for prosperity, for all the good things in these, this life, but we shouldn't be surprised that sometimes God, in his grace, gives us something different and better. Even things that in themselves are not good, and that God does not directly bring, but things that God allows, bad things that he turns to a good purpose. That's what God so often does. And we are to endure hardship 
as God's loving instruction, correction, discipline. Whatever it is, whether it's a small thing or a large thing, that's what Hebrews tells us. Now, endurance of the type I'm talking about, it is a slow-release virtue. It's not like you have these dramatic moments where, where everyone's cheering you on as you endure. Rather, endurance is the kind of thing that is quiet, often unnoticed. It's a long obedience in a single direction. It's one step after the other, after the other. Every day, every week, every month, every year, year after year. That's what endurance is. And so it's not as if you, you have music playing in the background and everyone applauding as you continue on. But God knows. God knows your faith. And God is using your endurance, your perseverance, your stick-to-itness as you faithfully follow through it all, God is using that to mold you and shape you and make you the person that you really want to be. God's calling us higher in all of this. Now, there are moments when you have to make decisions, and some of us here might be in that, that kind of moment where you know, you're dealing with something and, and you're half inclined to say, God, I've had it. I've had it. I've had enough of your unkept promises. I've had enough of all the happy talk about ha answered prayer, and I'm moving on. That's part of you. The other part says, no, no, I know Jesus Christ is the son of God who died on the cross for me. I want to be faithful. And you find yourself torn. You're at that moment. It's kind of a, a moment of decision. Well, there are times when we face those things, and, and the important thing at that point is that we press right through it. Um, maybe, maybe you've had, um, if you're in physical fitness, there's, a, there's an expression that's sometimes used. Have you ever heard it? Um, the tremor of decision, sometimes it's called. Have, how many of you have heard something like that? They talk about the, the tremor of decision. Well, that happens when you're working out and you put as much weight as you think you can bear on that bar and you do as many reps as you can do and you finally reach the point where you can't do any more. Your muscles are trembling. They're burning. Your body screams, that's it. And it's at that moment, if you push through, you give it everything you can, you can give it and more, that's when you find out what you've really got. And that's when you actually break through to new levels of, of strength. And so there are times when we reach that point of decision where we've got to press through and, and it would be very easy to quit, very easy to blame God, very easy to get negative and sour. That's the moment when we have to say, no, I will endure this as discipline. Or as the writer of Hebrew puts it, strengthen your trembling arms. 
and your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. You are stronger than you think. You can do it. And your good God is at work in your life, working to make you better, stronger, more holy, more useful. He's at work. Press on. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are at work in our lives, even when it feels as if we are alone. Lord, we know that we are never alone, but you are a good God, always a good God, and you're working graciously in us. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in faith to persist, to trust, to go forward, to stay on the path, to not lapse into self-pity, to not be so discouraged as to give up, but to continue on. Lord, may you lift the spirit of anyone here who feels that, that they are so weighed down, who needs to be reminded, Lord, that you are with them and that you have a good purpose for their lives. Please do that work now in Jesus' name. Amen.